0: Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Holidaysburg area or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. I just want to read uh, a couple passages here, Uh, Luke 24, verses 50 to 53. Joe read that, and then jump over to Acts. So we're in Luke chapter 24, and beginning in verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them, And carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. And then over to Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Every Christmas, we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate the Nativity, that Jesus Christ became a man in the incarnation And we do that every year. Uh, We just uh, celebrated uh, Good Friday. And uh, we do that in different ways. This year, again, we had the uh, way of the cross. And so we, we focus on Christ's crucifixion. And then, of course, last Sunday was Easter Sunday. And we celebrated the resurrection. And we do these things every year. Uh, We do not annually celebrate the Ascension of Christ. Um, Ascension Day is observed primarily by Catholic and Anglican churches. Ascension Day is on the uh, Thursday, 40 days after Easter Sunday. Because we know from the book of Acts that Jesus showed himself alive by many infallible proofs for a period of 40 days before he ascended up to heaven There's no reliable evidence that the apostles particularly celebrated the Ascension or an Ascension Day. As best we can tell, it goes back to Augustine in the fourth century when they began celebrating what is called the Feast of Ascension. And it seems that because we so focus on the crucifixion, we so focus on his death and his burial, and then we so focus on his resurrection, that sometimes we can sort of overlook the importance of the ascension, and we almost kind of look at it as sort of an an add-on, but it's much more than that. Just as Christ's birth is significant, just as his crucifixion, death, and burial, and just as his resurrection are significant, the ascension of Christ 40 days after his resurrection is of great significance. In fact, it was part of an early Christian creed. 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. We believe this was an early Christian creed. The word creed comes from Latin, meaning I believe. Remember, back in the first century, many people were illiterate. They could not read. And so what they learned about the gospel, what they learned about Jesus, they gained through hearing, listening. And so very often these creeds would be repetitions, and repetitions would help people remember and understand. And these creeds originated from eyewitnesses just a few years after Christ's resurrection and ascension. So these represent the earliest messages of the church, and throughout the New Testament there are different creeds. The resurrection and the ascension in the apostles' preaching flow together. Um, Sometimes we think, well, we have the story of the ascension here, but where else do you see it? Well, actually, you see it a lot of places in the New Testament. So this morning, I want to consider three things in particular and tell you where we're going here in this message. I want to look at what is the significance of Jesus' ascension. And what does Jesus' ascension mean to us as his disciples? And then what was the disciples' response as they witnessed the ascension? The ascension is not just a footnote on Jesus' life and earthly ministry. And that's what we're going to see this morning. So what is the significance of Jesus' ascension? Now it's interesting that God chose Luke to record the ascension. Uh, We've talked before about how uh, Luke, who wrote, of course, the Gospel of Luke, and then Luke wrote the book of Acts, and how the book of Acts is uh, part two, the second volume, you might say, of uh, Luke's writings. And so, he closes his gospel with the story of the ascension, and the ascension is part of the beginning of his second book, the book of Acts. Acts. So, Jesus' ascension is part of a major bridge between these two books, and it's interesting, and we'll have to find out in heaven why the Lord chose Luke to be the one to record the event of the ascension. Now, last month, I preached a message called Jesus' Continuing Ministry, and that message was from Acts chapter 1, and where we saw the things that Jesus began to do and to teach, and we saw for 40 days he was with the disciples teaching about the kingdom and giving commandments. This is where we talked about the great commission that we're suppo- they were supposed to go and we're supposed to go to the ends of the earth, to all the world, and to preach the gospel. And I pointed out that the Jesus' ministry began in, in Luke and then continued into the book of Acts and beyond, how the ending of Luke flows into the beginning of Acts. Acts. And we saw, in part, why Jesus did not immediately go into heaven after His resurrection. Why was He here for 40 days? Why didn't He just resurrect, show Himself alive to the people He did on Resurrection Sunday, and then ascend back to heaven immediately? Well when we study the ascension, we can understand part of God's plan and part of God's purpose in, in having that period before the ascension of Jesus. So for 40 days, he's showing himself alive by many infallible proofs. He's teaching them about the kingdom. He's giving them commandments. And then his feet are still planted on planet earth when he's doing that. And then we come to the ascension. Luke 24, verse 50, and he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. A more literal translation would be he led them in the vicinity of Bethany. Because Acts chapter 1 verse 12 reveals the location of the ascension was the Mount of Olives. And the village of Bethany is on the back slope of the Mount of Olives. So both texts are correct. And again, Luke's writing both of these so that we understand where the ascension took place. Now, if you go to Israel and you go to the Mount of Olives, there's a, a little shrine there, and you can look inside, and supposedly that's the, the imprint, the footprints of Jesus and where he ascended. I, I don't believe they're actually the footprints of Jesus. When you go to Israel, there's a lot of religiosity and a lot of uh, tradition and things that take place. But we know somewhere on the Mount of Olives, Jesus actually literally ascended up into heaven. Acts chapter 1 verse 9, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. This is probably the Shekinah glory cloud. If you remember in the Old Testament, it was the pillar of cloud that uh, led the Israelites uh, through the wilderness and then a pillar of fire by night remember uh, Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and this cloud descended upon them, and um, this, this Shekinah cloud is, is emblematic of the presence of Almighty God. And so Luke chapter 24, while he, bless, well, he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. As Jesus was ascending... And these disciples are gathered there watching this. Jesus is blessing them while he is going up into heaven. Now, was Jesus the first space traveler? Did he pass the moon and the planets? And uh, probably not. Um, It says he was ascended to heaven, not just the heavens. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote, the sun being withdrawn through a fold in space. Uh, 1 Kings 8, 27, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. Jesus is greater than the cosmos. So we don't know this for sure. We'll have to find out when we get to heaven. But it's very likely he ascended in the Shekinah cloud, symbolizing the presence of God, and uh, into heaven, which could be another dimension, spiritual dimension. But Jesus literally, physically, his feet went off of planet earth. Now why is the Ascension important? What's the significance? Because the Ascension is a vital part of God's plan of redemption, God's plan of redemption. Now Luke, at the end of his Gospel in the beginning of Acts, gives us the historical facts of the Ascension. So in other words, this is a real historic event. This actually happened. They were there gathered on the Mount of Olives and Jesus literally ascended. He blessed them while he was ascending. And then out of their sight when this cloud received him. And then the angels are there to announce that Jesus is coming back again. Though Luke records the historical event, you really have to go into the Gospels and into the book of Acts and the epistles to really understand the importance of the ascension. And the ascension is more prominent in the New Testament than we may think it is. I'm going be a good uh, Bible study for you if you want something different to do is go through and read through the Gospels and through the New Testament and see where the Ascension is spoken of. You're not going to see the word the Ascension, but you will see things like he ascended or, or he was raised up or, you know, something similar to that. We know from John's gospel that Jesus was speaking about the ascension as he was speaking about his return to the Father. John 16, 5, but now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? We saw last Sunday the words of the arisen Christ to Mary Magdalene. He said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. You know, Peter preached that powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost, and thousands came to Christ. In Acts chapter 2, verse 32, here's Peter boldly proclaiming Jesus, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit... He poured out this which you now see and hear, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. That's the ascension, where Jesus ascends into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. There are other references to the ascension in the Bible. Now, why is the ascension significant? Well, for one thing, it explains the physical absence of Jesus. The physical absence of Jesus. You will not find the glorif- Jesus Christ in His glorified humanity anywhere on planet earth. You just will not find Him because He is not here in His physical glorified body. He is in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. Uh, some have called this a bittersweet tension for Christians. And it's something that is so obvious to us that sometimes we sort of take it for granted. Uh, many times when I will do a funeral service, I'll use 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we're always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We know if we die as a believer, we will be absent from our physical body, but we will be present with the Lord. Because he is absent from planet earth in his glorified body. 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter puts it this way, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls, whom having not seen you love. I have never seen Jesus in his glorified body, physical body, and yet I love him and I've committed my life to him as many of you have. And so, Jesus is nowhere on planet Earth in his physical body and the ascension explains why he is no longer here. The ascension enthrones Jesus at the right hand of God the Father. This is so important that this is one of the things we understand in the Ascension. Colossians 3.1, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. We understand particularly in Eastern culture to be at the right hand is, is the place of honor. The risen Christ occupies the most glorious, powerful position in all of creation, In John 17, Jesus prayed, O Father, glorify me together with Yourself, with the glory which I had with You before the world was. Jesus left the glory of heaven, He veiled that glory, and He came down to earth through a human birth canal, and He took on human flesh, and then He suffered and died for us. And He prays, Lord, before the cross, take me back into that glory, and that's what happened at the ascension. And this is, in a sense, even more glorious. Say, so what do you mean more glorious? Well, the Son of God acquired the name Jesus in his incarnation. He acquired the name Jesus. Jesus is his human name. And so Philippians chapter 2 says being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When I look around at what's happening in culture today, I love reading these, these verses. They give me so much hope that one day all of these agnostics and atheists, all of these people who don't believe in God, all these people who have no value to human life, that we live in a culture that exalts animal life over human life, that one of these days these people, all of them, are going to be forced to bow their knee and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, Jesus was willing to take on this humiliation, and the result of that led to his exaltation. Now, how do we understand this? Uh, Kent Hughes helps us out here. Infinite glory cannot be improved. I mean, how do you improve infinite glory? It is greater in that angels and men have acquired a greater understanding of it, and I think that's probably pretty good. You know, Jesus goes back to the glory that He had before, infinite glory. How do you add to that? In the sense that now he, ta- he has the name Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, and now He's ascended in His glorified body that still bears the marks of Calvary. And you could, you, I can only imagine what the, what the entrance into heaven must have been like. When Jesus returned into the glory of heaven, and all the angels, you know, praised Him and worshiped Him, and they were probably dumbfounded at first to see their Savior take on human flesh and then be so abused and and treated the way He was and and crucify and actually die. But then they saw His resurrection and then His ascension. And what greeting must He have had from the, the saints of the Old Testament and the angels? As he ascended back into heaven. So his ascension reveals that Jesus' work on earth is now completed. And now his heavenly work has begun. Another reason why the ascension is significant is the ascension is proof that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection accomplished our redemption. Jesus' ascension is necessary. It is the necessary extension of his work on earth for the application of our redemption," Hebrews chapter 7, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The basic idea of uttermost here is completeness or perfection. Jesus has provided for us a perfect salvation, and he's ascended back to the Father in his glorified humanity. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he's making intercession for those who believe in him. Hebrews 10, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering is perfected forever those who are being sanctified. If you remember, there are no seats in the tabernacle, there were no seats in the temple, because the priest's work was never done. They were constantly making atonement for the sins of the people. But Jesus Christ, our great high priest, finished that work on Calvary. And he said on the cross, It is finished. And so, this perfect eternal salvation, as God justifies the believing sinner, clothing him in the righteousness of Christ, has been forever settled. That's why you can never lose your salvation doesn't depend on you, you know, and we'll see you even when we sin. Jesus Christ has, has gained for us an eternal, perfected salvation, if you know Him as your Lord and Savior. So the fact of Jesus' glorified body, that fact that it's in heaven, is the ground for our assurance and for our comfort. So what is the significance of Jesus' ascension for us as His disciples? Hebrews 9, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. For us. You remember in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says, Christ died for our sins. And now Christ has died, was buried, and rose again. Now he has ascended to heaven in the presence of God for us. It's an amazing thought. Jesus presented himself in the presence of God as the final, complete sacrifice. That's why there's nothing you can do to add to your salvation. There's not one good work, there's not one religious work. It's all been accomplished. All you have to do is understand that and admit that you're a sinner and repent of your sin and trust Christ to save you. It's a perfect, complete, forever salvation. The ascension means we have an advocate with God the Father, an advocate with God the Father. 1 John 2, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, so the plan here is that we don't sin, but the reality is that we will sin. Anybody made it through the week and you haven't sinned? I always get a little nervous when I ask that question, I'm afraid somebody's going to raise their hand. No, we all have, because sin, remember, sin's not just what you do. Him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. There are sins of commission, there are sins of omission, there are sins of thought, motive. So, all of our sins are forgiven, they're all paid for, they're all under the blood of Christ. So now, I still have this sinful nature, but I also have the Holy Spirit. So what happens when I, when I sin? Well, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So, Jesus is, in a sense, our defense attorney, and Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And, and, and Jesus is up there appearing to the Father on our behalf. Do you remember last week we talked about how it was when Jesus said Mary Magdalene's name, when he turned around, he said Mary, that she really recognized him? And we talked about how Jesus knows our name. And so Jesus is up there in heaven, and when you and I sin, I believe by name he, he's our advocate with, with the Father. That's one of my children. Now understand something. He does not claim our innocence, but acknowledges our guilt. He does not claim our innocence. He's our advocate with the Father. That's why we have 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He acknowledges that we will still struggle with sin, so He doesn't plead our innocence. He doesn't plead our baptism. He doesn't plead our church membership. He doesn't plead our good works. He doesn't say, well, well, look at Darren down there, and he's a pastor, and, and he does all these nice things, and, and he preaches. No, he doesn't plead any of that because I'm guilty. I still sin. So what does he plead? He pleads his own blood that was shed for us. That's what he pleads. He pleads his sacrifice on the cross for me, for you, not our righteousness, not our goodness. That's why if you have some major self-righteousness and you think that, well, uh, I'm going to do religious deeds or or I have to do this or do that, you're misunderstanding the gospel. Romans 8, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who's going to bring a charge against us as God's elect, save people? God's not going to do it. Christ is not going to do it. In fact, he's interceding to the Father for us. So we can now go before the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. Do you realize the apostles never established a Christian priesthood? they they never did that that all came along later that was the fabrication of men because why would we need a human priest when Jesus Christ is our great high priest when he intercedes to the father for us when we have the privilege of approach and we can go right to the very throne of grace do you understand how that's sort of a slap in the face to the savior All claims of priesthood or priestly intercession by a man is heresy. It's heresy. Because we have one intercessor, one high priest, and that's Jesus Christ. The ascension made possible the sending of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7, Jesus told his disciples, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart... I will send him to you. So now, Jesus' physical presence is replaced by his spiritual presence. When you are saved, you are indwelt by, sealed to the Father by, the Holy Spirit of God. We believe in the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of Jesus literally dwells inside his children. It is the Holy Spirit that enables us to obey his commandments. Now Here's the part I really like. The ascension assures us that glorified humanity can come into the presence of God. Glorified humanity. How did Jesus go to heaven? He didn't just go spiritually. He showed himself alive for 40 days by many infallible proofs, showing to the believers that he was truly alive. Even what Joe read, he he ate food in their presence. He told the disciples, handle me and see. You'll see that I'm just not a spirit. I have flesh and bone. And that's how he ascended to heaven. And Paul tells us in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. In a sense, the ascension is a preview of the translation of the church and the resurrection of believers. That one day we're going to have a new glorified body like unto his body. And as glorified humanity, we will be able to dwell in the presence of Almighty God. And the ascension guarantees that Jesus Christ is coming back to planet earth. In Acts 1, this same Jesus. Remember the two angels and they're standing gazing and they say, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. One day, Jesus is going to get up. And the Bible indicates he's coming back. And once again, his feet will plant on the Mount of Olives. And it seems to indicate the Mount of Olives will split in two and give sort of a place of protection for a remnant of believing Jews to go to in safety from the hatred of the Antichrist in the latter days. The point is, this age will not last forever. This age will not last forever. You know, we tend to think, um, like unbelievers sometimes, all things have continued since the beginning, and where's the promise of His coming? Though we believe in the promise of His coming, but um, do we really live with that expectation? So what was is, is the disciples' response to the ascension? Luke 24:52 Now again Jesus is ascending bodily and while he's going up he's blessing them and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God amen Do you ever read through the Bible and then get surprised You know if we really read and pay attention to what we're reading there should be times where we read something and it's surprising And I find this surprising Jesus has been telling them before His crucifixion that He was going to go away. And what I read from John that, you know, I'm, it's, it's to your advantage that I go away. And they, they couldn't grasp it. They couldn't get it. And so now it's talking about them, you know, great joy at him, them leaving Him. Who was it? Was it Juliet that said to Romeo, parting is such sweet sorrow, uh, when I part from my loved ones, I don't see anything sweet about it. Um, Sally and I were dating for a while, and then I was going back to college in Indiana. And so I went by train, and um, Mom and Dad and Sally uh, came to the uh, train station there in Altoona. This was like one of those old 40s or 50s movies, kind of. So I'm sitting on the in the train, I'm looking out. And she's she's standing down there and she's wiping her eyes, and you know, and I wasn't very happy either. and um, I didn't see a lot of sweetness in par- party, but these disciples certainly do. So what do they do? Well, he put, the text in Luke points out three things. They immediately began worshiping Jesus immediately. Now notice, they're worshiping an absent Jesus who now they couldn't see. So we're not crazy in what we're doing here, that we worship Jesus, someone whom we we have never seen, yet we still love. And it's very right and proper that we should do this. Do you know this is the first time in the Gospel of Luke that he uses the word worship? Which I never realized that until I studied this. That's really interesting. It's almost like Luke kept that word worship for this one amazing moment at the ascension of christ and they came back and they they worshiped him and then they immediately obeyed jesus because true worship always results in obedience they return to the apparent dangers of jerusalem remember it's only 40 days from the the crucifixion and resurrection um and remember the howling mob that wanted jesus remember the disciples were hiding for fear of the jews and now Jesus says, I want you to return to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there. And then 10 days later, the Holy Spirit fell. But they did this joyfully, joyfully. And then they continually, publicly praised God. Now, instead of hiding in fear, they're proclaiming that Jesus is risen. I'm sure they're preaching, as we see, see Peter in Acts 2, where he preaches of all places in the temple, the same Jesus you crucified, God raised from the dead, he's ascended up to heaven, and with great joy and really fearlessness after the coming of the Holy Spirit, they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. That's one of the evidences, by the way, of the resurrection, the change in the apostles. It's a powerful evidence. These men who were so fearful, and as far as we know, all but John gave their life, though John also suffered, and they died for their understanding. They had seen the risen Christ, and no no threat, nothing would steer them away from preaching and proclaiming Jesus, and they all gave their lives for that. Why would you do that for a dead Messiah? There would be no Christian life as we know it without the ascension. The ascension was vital to complete Christ's ministry. And there would be no Christian life the way we know it without the ascension. We would not have the Holy Spirit. We we would not have the, the advocate in heaven. We would not have the intercessory work of Christ, his continuing work from heaven. That's why the ascension is so essential. And so, though we, and I understand that I've done it, Sometimes for years when I've been preaching, I've so focused on the crucifixion, so focused on the the, the resurrection, so focused on Christmas and the coming of Christ, sometimes I haven't taken the time to really consider the, the value, the importance, the significance of the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ and how significant it is for all of us.